0: I'm Vinny and this is Learn Real Good.
1: Ah, oh, I'm excited to be back.
0: I love I love doing this podcast. It
1: feels like it's been a while since we did a recording. Yeah, a little bit. It's been a bit. They come out regularly, but yes. we record them in sort of spurts, it feels it's like
0: so intermittent. Feast we don't and know famine. we don't know when they're gonna come. <laughs> It's like a surprise lurking around the corner. We get a
1: two minute warning and then we just like head to our action stations, that's right. slap on the phones and go, that's what I call headphones now, and just are ready to record.
0: <laughs> slap on the phones.
1: <laughs> that's part of our new single coming out on Learn Real Good Records. <laughs> slap on the phones.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I, I always look forward to these.
1: I know, it's exciting. We get you to know? be the
0: guest, talk science, yeah. have a little laugh. It's a good time. It's always
1: fun. You've always got time for recording.
0: <laughs> a lot of slogans coming out of you. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. I'm a slogan machine. How have you been, Vinny? What's new with you? I've been
0: good. It's getting cold now, isn't it? Now we're recording this. I don't know when this is coming out, but right now it's turn- It's the middle of fall. It's really near Halloween. and <laughs>
1: You are you know, you started vague with temperature and I'm like, that's fine. You know, so we'll probably come out before summer. So right. this could be any time. And then time. you got more and more specific no, fall. It's, it's like, October okay, 24th at 12.07
0: p.m. in Montreal. <laughs>
1: And you said fall, and I was like, wow, this Let's is definitely going to be dated. Look,
0: people don't, you know, the mystery of when this is recorded is, you know, it's nice to maintain, but maybe it's overrated.
1: Okay, well, yeah, I love fall. It finally feels like fall. It's been like crazy warm, and now it's like cold, so I'm here for it. The oh, real yeah, I, fall. Love, I do love fall. It's yeah. my favorite season. Yeah, right? The well, summer wardrobe. too hot,
0: winter too cold, fall just right. All the Spring coats. too rainy. Yeah. Fall's not that rainy.
1: No. It's been rainy though. And that's our update of local weather here in Montreal. <laughs> Who knows where you are yeah. listening to this, but thank you for listening. Well, hopefully
0: you have a fall wherever you are. Yeah, It's a that's great true. season.
1: Yeah. And I've never lived somewhere not temperate, so I would really be jarred by yeah. yeah. not having the four seasons. Or like
0: summer year round, where it's like 76 degrees Fahrenheit all, all year.
1: I need those changes. I'd be very changes. lost, I feel.
0: Time-wise, every yeah. day would feel the same.
1: And I feel like I would wake up and be like, I don't know. What month it is? No. Okay. Well, that's enough jibber jabber.
0: You want to get to some science facts? Well, yeah.
1: So let's remind our 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 audience how this works. So Vidi and I are going to share science facts, and we're going to bring on our fabulous guest.
0: Yeah, this whole podcast is about sharing science facts with one another and having a little laugh along the way. So we got some science sharing. Science sharing, (laughs) caring—they all live together.
1: (laughs) Who goes first? I'll go first. Okay, go for it. So
0: my science fact is. I guess, I don't know if this is surprising or sad or all of the above, um, or maybe just entirely predictably sad.
1: I'm prepared for some emotional response. Yeah.
0: So, elephants. Oh, yeah. oh I know where this is going. You know where going. this is going. Okay. Yeah. Good oh, story. Should I stop? No, please. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Uh, a elephants are hunted f- for their tusks it's a very sad story very sad um huge pressures on them population-wise from poachers and like basically you have to hire people around the clock to guard them and protect mm-hmm. them from people trying to get their their ivory from their tusks so one of the things that have been noticed is that there's been a huge selective pressure on elephants yes. to become tuskless yes and so what they're noticing is that the percentage of tuskless elephants has shot up over time and you know it just makes ample sense because you don't get hunted if you don't have tusks and so what's happened over time is specifically one park in Mozambique has been observed and uh, the females especially have basically become tuskless elephants um because if you don't have the tusks, you get to live and <laughs> have babies. And so this huge selective pressure um, has, has just caused these elephants to become essentially tuskless.
1: It's so cool because we're using it. I'm sorry to burst the bubble that I knew this one, yeah, but as a okay. biology instructor, right. this is a very hot topic because right. we're like, this is a current example of evolution yeah. by natural selection yeah. that we are observing.
0: And it's a... It- could be a problem in the long term because elephants use those tusks. they have them for a reason um and you know they use it to dig up water they use it to scrape bark off trees um and and if this happens in male males use it obviously for fighting and for establishing dominance so for them it has a whole other function Mm -hmm. and also for mate viability um so male elephants are under double pressure in opposite directions to to one if you don't have tusks then you may not reproduce because you're not a you know the preferred male of the species but if you do have tusks you get shot and you don't get to reproduce i was going to
1: see if you had a guess as to why it's stronger in females versus males because absolutely so males have this sexual selection versus natural selection clashing Mm -hmm. against them tough call
0: yeah so but it's it's you know one of these distinguishing characteristics that you think of when you think of elephants is disappearing because Basically, we're hunting it out of them.
1: So sad. It's
0: very sad.
1: And and the ivory is being taken for what? What do, we, what do people use ivory
0: for? I have no idea. Well,
1: for, I mean, it used to be piano keys, but I think well, we just don't a, use that anymore as a material for sculptures, but also like to grind up for all sorts of things.
0: Yeah, it used to be like a decorative, like a rare, precious item for like yeah. piano keys, billiard balls. Um, billiard balls. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's just so sad, killing such a giant beautiful animal yeah. for one little part of it. Yeah. I don't understand. And that. you
0: know what? I don't have a problem of things made out of ivory if they're harvested after the elephant has died. Of course. Then that seems like perfectly ethical to me. Sure. But hunting for them just seems like Well, the that's worst. a big
1: belief for you. Like that's why you have that leather jacket made from roadkill. <laughs> that's
0: right. Yeah, I stitch it together several deer and <laughs> raccoons. And it's really personal to me. And
1: I'm supportive of this. Thank
0: you. I use I use everything. <laughs> it's got a couple plastic bags in there, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> reuse those too. Yeah, re- reuse those reduce,
0: too. reuse, roadkill.
1: Well, I know if this helps the elephant populations in the end.
0: I mean, yeah, not- I guess if you, our choice is no elephants or elephants without tusks, I'm pretty sure everyone's gonna with being alive and not having tusks.
1: If the elephants could vote.
0: Yeah. That's my little fact. Very
1: cool. Excellent fact. Okay. Are you ready? I'm always ready. Are you ready to receive some information?
0: Please download the information.
1: Okay. Mitochondria. What's a mitochondria, Vinny?
0: It's the powerhouse of the cell.
1: (laughs) That is drilled into everyone's brains in Canada, at least. I know in elementary school, I feel like. What does that mean? What does it do? But
0: I mean, it... It's where I think the ATP gets generated?
1: Yeah. So like the currency our cells use to do stuff, to contract muscles, all sorts of things that your cells do. They need energy of a certain form and they take food energy that happens inside the mitochondria for organisms that have mitochondria and they twist it around (laughs) and use it to make ATP.
0: Basically, for people of a certain age uh, who watch a lot of Transformers, it's where the energon (laughs) cubes of the (laughs) cell are made.
1: Excellent. Now... Did you know that mitochondria have their own DNA?
0: Yes, I did, and they have. It's separate from like the human DNA, and it's basically a symbiotic kind of relationship.
1: Well, it's not. Well, it that's how it happens. So right. The reason why our cells have mitochondria is that right. we had these two different single celled organisms. One engulfed the I wish other. People
0: <laughs> could see the hand gestures. <laughs> I don't doing think right they're now. really adding <laughs> to the story,
1: but they help me. And then they use these little bacteria that that. <laughs> Use oxygen to make energy and it's a very efficient process and that became the mitochondria. It was a bacteria, now a a little organ of our cells. Cool. Anyway, it has been noted Mm -hmm. that when you're stressed, this DNA that's in our mitochondria can leak out of the cell.
0: (laughs) I think we go to the same sites.
1: (laughs) (laughs) These are both huge news stories this week week of October 20th. (laughs) Um, and, uh, it can be damaging. And so yeah. it's noted that, uh, people who have diseases or, or anything else that causes inflammation have elevated amounts mitochondrial of mitochondrial DNA. DNA. So you can use it as a marker for probability of some sort of issue with inflammation or that some stress has happened. You know where I'm going with this. Where am I going? Tell, tell it to our audience. Vinny. Well, I
0: think it's, uh, if your mitochondrial DNA is, shows up in your body. Uh, It's often indicative of an amount of stress that you may be under from various sources. Uh, And in some cases, in specific cases where that's a really important thing to know, such as in astronauts, it's really important to know how stressed the human body can get.
1: Yes, so Vinny knows my my fact. We knew each other's facts. It's the first time it the that's first happened. Time, yeah. yeah,
0: but they—you're right—they're both pretty big news. Yeah, they're
1: huge. So, so what we're getting at for those of you who have not read this article is that um, it's been noted in astronauts very recently that they have higher levels of mitochondrial DNA in their blood floating free of the cells indicating stress of space travel as being sort of a sign perhaps a not not as obvious sign of physiological stress you know they monitor all other sorts of things but this is sort of an sort of a microscopic level indicator of stress and this could indicate challenges to space travel if we have these and in some cases there's a huge range in how much increase mm-hmm. but it was up to 300 times more mitochondrial wow. dna than if they weren't
0: in space now here's the question for you oh no you okay. asked me some biological oh, no. depression questions. Oh, so gosh. what are some stressors in space that you wouldn't have on earth i mean yes they're astronauts they have a Interesting. demanding schedule they have you know they're under a lot of pressure and it's very exciting so it's very stressful yeah um but you know there are people on earth who have very stressful and demanding jobs too so what is it about space what are what are some factors in space that might be extra? I think
1: you probably have a better answer to this, but just thinking of like William Shatner who came back mm-hmm. from being in space, he was like shook. Yeah. Like the existential Sure. Is existential stress a thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe. Yeah.
1: <laughs> being so acutely aware of how small you are and how yeah. big the universe is, like how mean,
0: fragile existence is. I mean, on I think that's kind of got to
1: cause I don't think of that. When I'm sitting on my couch, sure. I ain't stressing about that. No.
0: No. <laughs> but there's two other factors that Tell come into play. Me. One, uh, lack of gravity on the human body.
1: That's amazing that that would cause stress.
0: So, uh, so many things rely you wouldn't think of on oh, the that's human right. body. We're built for that. We're built for existing uh. in a gravity environment. So existing in a zero gravity environment Uh, causes a lot of stress on the human body. Your sense of balance is entirely tuned to those little, you know, those three little axes things that we have in our ears are all tuned to, yeah, they're tuned to having existing in gravity well. Um, And absent that, your body gets disoriented. It doesn't know which way is up. It doesn't know which way is down. Uh, So your blood circulation is geared to living in gravity. And so your whole body has to redistribute everything, uh, all the stresses that your body is designed to Withstand well, without thinking about it, in gravity is absent, and your body has a hard time adjusting to it. Exercise in space is very difficult, it's, mm. and but extremely necessary. Anyways, so the bo- body undergoes all sorts of changes when it doesn't. Is like, where's this gravity that I'm used to? And that's, the-
1: that's so interesting because it would seem on the surface level, superficially, that not having gravity would make everything easier. You know, like it's so hard for like your feet to be pumping all those fluids back up, you know? Wouldn't they just be having a nice little vacay, not having to worry about it?
0: (laughs) But then, you know, you have other things like how do plants grow with no gravity? How do they know, how does the seed know which way Mm. is up?
1: Fascinating. Uh,
0: Or does it even use gravity? These are all experiments that have been done. Yeah. The other big factor, so gravity is one factor, but the other and probably bigger factor... This is
1: Vinny's fact this week. ...is
0: space radiation... (laughs) Right. Because so much of uh, the, the sun sends out so much radiation, UV, mm. all this stuff. It's super damaging um, to the human body. But we're protected by the Earth's magnetic field. But it's much weaker up in space. And for interplanetary travel, you get no protection from Earth's magnetic field. And you just get irradiated like madly. <laughs> and it causes a ton of DNA damage. Right. So, And this is probably the more significant factor, which is just radiation from being in space damaging all the cells in your body.
1: So hearing this, I mean, we've asked each other if we would go to space sure. if we could. Does this make you think about it? Less or more. Like <laughs> you're more interested I, in going? Yeah.
0: I need more mitochondrial DNA.
1: That's a fascinating <laughs> motivator.
0: No, I mean, most of these are built with some radioactive shielding because it's a known problem. But if you're like going to, like a mission to Mars that would last months and months, you know, you'd have to have some serious radiation shielding.
1: That's not the question.
0: But would I want to go more? Do you still space? want to go to space? Yeah, Sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I'll go to space. So, Vinny won't be recording the next couple weeks. <laughs> He's, we're shooting him out in a rocket. <laughs>
0: Oh, Whoa!
1: <laughs> we'll report back on it. Here All right, Learn Real that'll Good. be
0: my science fact. <laughs> that'll be huge. Yeah.
1: We're going to measure. We're gonna do an experiment live on Learn Real Good, where you total your... rando
0: from Montreal goes to space.
1: <laughs> total rando. No, you're the co-host of the podcast. Radio's There's true. dozens of listeners. <laughs> dozens of us. Dozens of them. All right, that's All enough right. goofing around. Okay, so we
0: should we should bring our guest out. Yes. I'm oh my god. I'm really gosh. excited. I
1: am so excited.
0: So today's guest is Claire Menzus. Completed her uh, MSc in animal science in France in 2015, and then she decided to continue her work on feather pecking by joining Dr. Harlander's team at the University of Guelph in 2017 as a PhD student in animal biosciences. She explored the use of probiotic bacteria to reduce the feather pecking in chickens. She successfully defended her PhD this past month. She successfully defended her PhD this past month and is now conducting welfare research projects at the French Livestock Institute. Bienvenue, Claire.
2: Thank you, thank you so much, and I can already tell you I've learned a lot. <laughs> thank you those fifteen minutes. That's that's the it's, it's an exchange. You're yeah. going to
1: teach us some stuff. We taught you some stuff. <laughs> well, I hope so. At least from my part.
2: <laughs>
1: Invariably, you will. Welcome, yeah. Claire. Thank you yeah. for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, we're we're super excited. Now you i am so excited to learn about your research mm-hmm. <laughs> um let's start maybe talking about why do chickens peck each other to begin with what's going on there well,
2: that is the question mm. <laughs> <laughs> um it's actually we don't know um oh. people have been doing research on that specific behavior for more than 70 years now and we still don't know what causes it what are the reasons and that's why it is considered as a stereotypy um mm. because we can't explain it mm. um so there is a few hypotheses here and there for example the pecking and you know um, ingesting those feathers could be a source of fibers um that oh. might mm. be lacking in the in the feed but even with a an appropriate diet, uh you can still 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 see the behavior. So it's unclear uh and that's why we're still doing research on it.
0: So oh, no. yeah.
2: Wow. So
0: so maybe you can just explain what feather like what ha- are chickens just randomly going around to other chickens and plucking the feathers out of them?
2: Um yeah, so it's basically that what it is. Um it's one uh what we observe it a lot in laying hands, but also in other species um my phd was on laying hands so like you have a hen um pecking and plucking the feathers from other birds they don't do it to themselves so um it's very yeah like some some birds are targeted as victims and they get, you know, pecked, and it's very, it's very hard. Like the behavior, there's a lot of force uh, in the way they pluck the feathers uh, and it can lead to obviously feather loss, um, feather damage, but also skin injuries. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very problematic for the bird, but also for the farmer, as you can imagine. Right. And also in the worst cases, it can lead to um, cannibalism and Ooh. so death so in those cases it's a huge issue because it can it's a behavior that they learn watching other birds uh, like doing so it can spread within a flock and it can be dramatic when it starts so the idea is to be able to contain it or prevent it would be the best wow are there any signs that it's sort of
1: genetically based? Like if your mother was a feather pecker?
0: <laughs> your mother was a feather pecker.
2: Classic <laughs> insult. Uh, yeah, so it is um, there is a bit of genetic, like a genetic part. Um, it is um, I don't remember the exact uh, numbers, but it's slightly heritable. Um, mm. And we, for example, we are working um in my lab or but also like other labs in europe uh, on lines that were s- like selected for either high amounts of feather packing behavior huh. or low amounts of hmm. feather packing behavior um so we are able to you know like um select the birds the issue and why it hasn't been done in the industry is that it's actually negatively correlated with um egg laying so the performances so there is kind of an issue there <laughs>
1: wow um, so
2: feather packers
1: <laughs> get yeah. better
2: eggs is that the headline they lay more, more and bigger wow. eggs too wow. um so yeah it's not yeah it's not that easy
0: Wow, that's fascinating what a
2: twisted web so do, so would you, would your guess be that something
1: about the nutritive benefit of the feathers leads is is better for making eggs or like what what would be I, that so positive I, relationship
2: i don't know about that because they don't necessarily eat the feathers okay. Um, okay. like that ingestion can be or not be there okay. it's not um it's not considered as part of the behavior if you want mm. um but who knows maybe
0: yeah maybe just all of that aggression comes out in the egg
1: (laughs) (laughs) would you think because is isn't stress typically bad for laying eggs so you'd think that if you're living in this well it's the people it's it's the
0: people it's the chickens that are doing the pecking that are laying the bigger eggs if i'm understanding yes so yeah it's not receiving Mm -hmm. the pecking that makes you better it's the giving of the pecks
1: if i'm a feather pecker okay Which I've been accused of being. Several times. I feel like I'd be stressed, too. I'm living in this feather pecker society, even if I'm the top feather pecker.
2: (laughs) Well, that's actually what I was looking at, too, because I was looking at, at like, a lot of physiological mechanisms to see how do they react to specific, you know, situations and how are their stress levels. (gasps) And like so it's there's a lot to look at there (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. so let's hear about that so what 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 was the stress situation like if you were being feather pecked or if you were a feather pecker were you they all stressed or feather peckers
2: weren't stressed well we found out that they are less stressed um and so like we use you know specific tests that can help us um well i mean our, our tests were more about fear, but it does mm. give you also an idea of you know um, the, the the stress reaction. Let's say how you cope with a stressful situation, um, and they are less fearful from hmm. like the use of that specific test, uh, okay. which is called like the tonic immobility. I don't know if you've heard of it, but oh, it's 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 a really cool test. You basically pretend to be a predator for the bird, okay. and um, for those species, the way they they usually cope with it is when they are fearful, they pretend to be dead, and so they don't move. They just it, it's it's I don't know how to describe it, but it's very surprising when you don't expect it. Um, so you put the bird on its back, and you just look at how long it takes the bird to uh, go back on its feet,
1: oh. and
2: the length of this tonic immobility because they're not sleeping, they're being alert, um, but they just are freezing and that tells you and that that gives you an indication about their fear levels
0: wow testing fear in chickens
1: now claire i'm imagining that when you're pretending to be a chicken predator you're putting on some sort of wolf suit and then you jump out (laughs) there
2: and you're like like some halloween haunted house for chickens tell me that this dream is true (laughs) no i just need to be like as i am because i'm like apparently big and scary enough okay (laughs) I'm not very big, Ben. Not so either. But
1: <laughs> was that like a, a a confounding variable, like scariness in appearance of scientist and perceived predation pressure? Like if you're adorable, as you uh... are, Claire, with a little scarf, are they going to be more likely to be like, "She ain't gonna hurt us"? Versus someone, you know, with I well, it know. could
2: definitely be though. But like we have ways of like statistically, like you know take care of that so like you have to avoid right. compounds so yeah <laughs>
1: potential <laughs> confounding variable adorability of predator <laughs> <laughs> but i wouldn't be very efficient
0: but
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is very cool Yes,
0: is right it's very fascinating and so yeah i guess all of these these behaviors i mean uh the reason we want to to learn about it is for chicken farming i presume
2: Absolutely, because of the I mean, the welfare of the birds, first right. of all. Um, but also, it has an economical impact on the farm level because those birds who are being pecked obviously, they're not going to have a great egg production. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it leads to skin injuries, you know, like for their health, it's not great. If it leads to cannibalism, like you can lose so many birds right. that, you know. Um, and birds which are presenting, let's say, um, a situation which is maybe less drastic than what i'm explaining just like feather loss um where for their thermoregulation it has an impact oh, as well wow. um, because they don't have that coverage that protects them so they tend to eat more to compensate the heat loss oh. so all of this is linked and you know yeah. has a cost for mm-hmm. the farm and also for the let's say like how people perceive you know like uh, the industry and farming. Uh, when you have featherless chickens, it's not great. So, you know, like, it's, it's a win-win for everyone, if we can manage to get rid of that behavior, or at least be able to um, deal with it in a proper way.
1: Was there any sort of impact of density? Like, we we know of nowadays, all these industrial farms where chickens are sort of crammed into a tiny, tiny space versus free-range chickens. Was there any sort of effect of that? on on feather
2: pecking um, you know so feather pecking is what we called a multifactorial behavior so it means that pretty much anything could be a factor mm. uh, like a risk factor so of course like yeah that's what you would tend to think and density is definitely a factor for it uh, but at the same time you can observe the behavior in like backyard chickens that are mm. you know like what you think it's living the life like they have so much space and they're just like i don't know five to ten chickens maybe and they can develop the behavior as well Mm -hmm. so it's still unclear like we know we know some triggers for sure like we know stress for example is a major trigger and stress can be many many things right Mm -hmm. it could be one day you have your lights that are broken and so like the 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 light like um schedule you know uh, is disturbed or it could be like I don't know like a human that they don't know that goes into the flock or anything pretty much and that can trigger the behavior so density is definitely one of them but we don't know what exactly and how much of everything and even when they are given what we as human assume is you know the best like um level of welfare possible it can still appear
0: hmm. wow so it feels like chickens are just like a clucking time bomb <laughs>
2: What we were looking at in my research is um, instead of looking at the environment, let's look at what's inside. And maybe there's a dysregulation of, mm. you know, some something in the physiology that could explain it. Um, so that's a different way to look at it. But Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the other component is probiotic
1: bacteria and their i guess effect i'm assuming to mitigate this behavior or exactly yeah yeah so let's so first yeah. what 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 is a probiotic we were, we always hear about probiotics yeah. in my yogurt in oh, particular we hear about antibiotic yeah. bacteria <laughs> and they fight each other Yeah, probiotic and antibiotic <laughs> yes yeah, so they're the two par- political parties of bacteria
0: <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear about the pros
2: yeah what makes a bacteria probiotic um probiotics don't necessarily are just bacteria but it's basically um a microorganism which is beneficial for you if you ingest it in the right amount because i Mm. I, you know as you know like if you take too much of anything it's not going to be good for you um so that's yeah any anything like a microorganism that's good for you when properly ingested
0: Hmm. you can feed chickens some of these bacteria and hopefully it'll influence their behavior
2: exactly that's what we did and it works um like we tried different you know ways to uh give it to them and we tried different um strategies and we definitely observed an impact on their behavior so there's a lot of um promises for future research there to go further
1: wow see my guess in, in terms of the link between the probiotic bacteria and the feather pecking was going to be like a a measure to treat them afterwards. Like if I took a feather pecked chicken and I gave it probiotic bacteria, it just wouldn't have an infection in and thus nullifying some of the negative effects. But you're saying that giving probiotic bacteria made the chickens not
2: be feather peckers? Yeah, so we Whoa. tried different <laughs> strategies like as a prevention um, or as a curative strategy or as a, what? how do we call the last one? Um, a continuous strategy. Uh, so where we give it to them and then we stress them to trigger the behavior and we give it to, so before and during the stress. Um, and so like each strategy had some effects, some like, uh, you know, bigger than than others, but we definitely see a link uh, on how the microbiota can have an impact on the behavior. So that's, that's amazing. yeah.
0: I mean, this is one of the, I guess, new fields that has a lot of potential to unlock Oh, so yeah. many biological health implications, which is biome, gut biomes and uh, and and the link between what we eat and how our internal biology the biome that's going on in there affects our behavior. And it's it's fascinating to see this evolution and oh, yeah. in other species, too.
2: Exactly. Like it comes from human research, right? We're discovering so much for humans how our our microbiota can be linked, for example, to depression or anxiety, Mm -hmm. and how we can play on that by, you know, like ingesting probiotics as well. Um, And so that's kind of how this idea of this research started is comparing what we can do in other species and, okay, maybe we can apply it in chickens because we had some facts telling us that, okay, maybe that's how it works for them too. Mm -hmm. And do we have any ideas at this point
1: as to how eating a bacteria makes you be nicer? Like, what is, do we know what that
2: link is between behavior and something you're eating? Yeah, so we have some ideas for sure. Um, They may differ between species because like the, you know, the physiology is not necessarily the same. Um, But basically, ingesting a specific species, let's say like if you only take one um, species of bacteria, Um, It can, first of all, like uh, have uh, consequences on other species of bacteria that are already in your um, gastrointestinal tract. So it can modify, you know, like how many different species and how many of bacteria within that species you have. Um, And for example, for the bacteria that we were using, we know that they can influence the immune system. So basically, they can make your immune system stronger and more, you know, like, um, make you more healthy in that way. They can also um, have an influence of your neurotransmission. And so when you think about that, then you link the gut directly with your brain and neurotransmission with your behavior. So that's, those are good ideas of how it can impact everything. Unbelievable.
0: And so... What, what are the bacteria that you feed to chickens that changes their behavior?
2: So we used a specific strain of lactobacillus, and those lactobacillus. So they are, um, If you look at your yogurts, definitely you're gonna see them in there because they are like very much used for um, us. Mm. Um, and why we use those is because we like previous research, like before me, um, found out that those severe feather pecking peckers so that the birds who were pecking actually were lacking those bacteria compared Whoa. to birds who were not pecking wow so that that's crazy when you think about it right no, kidding. like
0: <laughs> so did you have like like bird seed flavored yogurt no
2: <laughs> no we found i mean that would be also and have you tried it uh, yeah <laughs> i actually did not try it i was so <laughs> curious the entire time but you know slightly scared too i don't <laughs> i mean it's perfectly fine to consume but i never i never did it um but now we've we we got the bacteria as a powder um mm. and so we just diluted it in water and mm. in that way that was easy to give to the birds of course
1: Wow. And so do you think this could be transferable to humans, Claire? Like if I fed Vinny more yogurt, would he Mm. stop feather pecking, do you think?
2: I love feather pecking. I would say it all depends what's actually in your yogurt. Um, Mm. Because, you know, between what's on the packaging and what's really in there, sometimes it can differ.
0: Oh, that's Um, interesting.
2: Yeah, there's some research saying that, for example, you know, like there's a lot of um, probiotics, like products on mm-hmm. like in the shelves on, on in the grocery stores um and those compared to what they say they have apparently it's way lower in yeah. terms oh, of wow. um, the amount of yeah um microorganism in there I can't so can't believe it the yep. food
0: is mislabeled. Can't, they're, just, they're lying to me again.
1: I'm starting to think that giant bottle of Yop may not have any probiotic.
2: <laughs> yeah. Components. I mean, I, it can't be that bad, right? It can only be good. right. Right. right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think Katie, you're gonna have to order the powder and slip it into my water bottle. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> I'm on it. Wow, this is very cool research. Yeah.
2: Uh, so. It's... so yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say it's so cool, but it's also so complicated because everything yes. is linked and it's so many you know, different topics to link together. Mm. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure the statistics must be fun trying to pull <laughs> apart all these causal factors. Absolutely. <laughs> but I love statistics, so that's fine. <laughs> nice. We'll nice. leave it to you, Claire, <laughs> to tease it apart. <laughs> So how did you so you have a long background in animal science, right? You did your master's in it. I know that's what you're doing now after your Ph.D. So where where did this love of animal science come from, Claire?
2: Uh, since I was a child, um, I actually wanted to be a vet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like, yeah, I so I passed in France. So like get to be different um, than the, the schooling system in Canada. I mean, we have universities, but we also have like um, other very traditional system where you do, I mean, maybe if you've heard of it, but you do like a, a class preparatoire. So it's like <laughs> two years of very intensive uh, classes um, on different topics. And I took like a lot of biology, um, amongst other things. Um, and after the, those two years, you have a, a, an exam, which can lead you to either like um, vet school or um we have um agriculture schools and so unfortunately i failed vet school <laughs> so i went for um an agriculture school where i took classes for um about animal production and i i knew i wanted to keep you know that link with um animals and so i went for that and then i did internships in research and i started to you know like find my way like that so and i'm working I mean, I I love what I'm doing right now, and I'm actually working with vets, so mm-hmm. I'm doing what I, you know, I could have been yeah. doing if I were a vet. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's you know, a, a lot of times we can, as academics, you're like on a success track where you know you do things. It's like I'm gonna go through this hoop, I'm gonna go through this thing, and uh, and every turn we want to you know. Uh, It can feel like uh, very binary in the fact that if I don't clear this then it's my, you know, my career in science isn't going to go forward. But there's so many options and to to hear you say that, you know, uh, you did the exam, it didn't work out for you and you're still uh, working in the field that you like. I mean, there's so many options and so many paths. uh, Exactly. And like,
2: sometimes you don't know about, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because they are less advertised than um, the, the, the major ones and for me it was actually it was so important because when i failed vet school i was you know looking into those agriculture schools and i was okay maybe i can still do what i want through that and because some um i heard some people talking about their paths and their studies and what they did and so that's definitely something you know for the people listening to that podcast if that mm-hmm. can help like it's not because it's not because you fail in doing something that you can do it using another way Mm -hmm. Uh, there's yeah as you said so many different ways to achieve what you want yeah it's
0: not
1: if you're interested and you love animals and you want to protect them it's not one possible job right it's a whole diversity of things you can do with that passion exactly
0: and i think there's um It Just people going into academia, you know, young people going into sciences have like maybe a very narrow vision of like what your possibilities are and what your options are. And mostly because, you know, it's not because there is only one path. It's just because the other paths aren't well promoted or um, prioritized. Like there are so many ways of doing things.
1: Well, think of the jobs you see on TV, right? Right. How many yeah. lawyer and surgeon shows are there? There's no, not a lot of shows with, well, Schitt's Creek had a vet on it, but, I mean, you don't see a lot of diversity in careers. When do right. you see a researcher on TV? Yeah. Not often. Yeah. I, guess, I guess Big Bang Theory had physicists, uh, right? Yeah, I guess so.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you just don't see these these possibilities. Yeah. No, it's yeah, it's true. It's a bit sad because, you know, sometimes you have, like, really, really interesting jobs mm-hmm. um, that just are not well known so
1: yeah mm-hmm. well that's the goal of this podcast to yeah. show off other disciplines and so
0: i guess claire i want to ask you did what what is it about animals that made you want to be a vet did you like grow up around animals or are you just someone who loves animals
2: i love animals um and i was born in uh, the suburb of paris so not really in a farm not really in the countryside <laughs> wow. No. uh yeah i just i don't know i was always there um, and the funny part is, I'm always slightly scared of animals as <laughs> well, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I just get, I just need a bit of time to get used to them, um, and I'm always, you know, wary. Uh, but it doesn't prevent me to work with them and work for them mostly. Wow. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was always there, and I can't really explain why. I I would say mostly because I don't want to work with humans. <laughs> Fair. I mean, I have to, you know, but I wouldn't want to
1: be a doctor, for example. Right. I feel that. As an ecologist, I feel that. I had the same reaction.
0: Humans, no thank you. Yep.
1: (laughs) Animals, please. (laughs) That's so nice to hear, though. You always hear that cliché thing of, you know, I was surrounded by dogs. I was raised by dogs. I wanted to protect dogs. You know, to hear of someone who's sort of from the city, who's also afraid of animals, who still had a passion for it. That's that's sort of an awesome story to have. Yeah. It doesn't
2: seem too compatible, but somehow it works. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: whatever works for you, Claire.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and, so, and so, why, why chickens? Has it always been chickens for you?
2: <laughs> no, it always it was always farm animals. That okay. was something I was really sure about. Um, and I started working on. I've worked with many many species because I did a gap year, and the goal of that gap year was to do so many internships in. Um, The idea of trying different, you know, like structures or um, animal species and type of jobs. And then I started working with pigs at the end of my master. And after that, I I started working with chickens. Um, So doing research for chickens in France. Um, And that's what led me to that PhD after because it had like, um, how would you say, It made sense based on the topic of the research. Mm. Um, but I mean, now I've like, I'm, I've left the chickens and I've moved to cows and goats and sheep. So very different and I,
1: I feel like I know nothing again. (laughs) That's great. Right. You come in there with those fresh eyes, fresh new animals.
0: (laughs) Now, are you scared of the goats and, (laughs) and sheep?
2: Well, the cows are big, you know, cows are big,
0: cows are very big.
1: Yeah. I'm scared of a
2: cow. But I get used to
1: them, I'm sure. <laughs> so what are what are you, so now you've just finished your PhD. You're fresh off of that. So congrats, Dr. Mindus. Yes. You. You. Um so so now you're at the French Livestock Institute. What are you yeah. working on now? I mean I mean you're you're brand new on the job. Actually
0: hang on, I wanna know what the French Livestock Institute <laughs> is.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, it's an association um, working as a company, and they do research and development for the the the, the French um, remnants farming system. Hmm. Um, so that's why I'm working on cows, goat, sheep, and um, mm. and maybe a bit of horses. Not sure, but yeah. So they do like research projects and developments projects. Wow.
1: Very cool. And so, what, what are your current questions, or or what are you working on right now there?
2: So I'm working on all levels. Uh, for example, on farms, on transport, and on uh, slaughter, as well. Um, so, for example, on farms, we're looking at how can we assess welfare of young um, ca- or not so young, but calves for meat calves. Um, because they are usually kept in, um, well, I'm not used to sp- speak about that in English, so I'm going to look for my That's words okay. a bit. But <laughs> it's okay. yeah, take your time. Um, They are kept in systems where, um, because they are mostly males, the farmers at some point cannot go inside the pens with the animals because it would be too dangerous for them so we're looking at a way on how they can assess the welfare of the animals in a Hmm. simplified way and from the outside of the pens and at the same time we're looking at the use of um artificial intelligence um so using cameras and how can we um understand for example the behavior of the animals and what can it tell us automatically uh, so that's an example of a project um, so yeah it's it's really it's the idea of this company is very much applied it's um, mm-hmm. to help uh, you know farming and so it's nice to see that you're working on something that can help farmers and animals
0: mm-hmm.
2: wow this sounds like the greatest
1: job for you yeah oh yeah it's perfect Sounds <laughs> like a great match yeah
0: absolutely
1: all of those horses no that's an animal that scares yeah, me
0: I, I, claire i will tell you a horse is bigger than a cow so be careful
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> unless they're the miniature horses are they the miniature horses
2: i don't think they are but like i haven't seen any projects on horses yet um, so like um yeah
0: not a lot of ponies on farms
2: <laughs> <laughs> that may be true yeah. oh boy Well, so it
1: seems like you're set up then. We usually ask our guests, like, what does the future hold? So do you feel like this is where you plan to stay working for the next little while? Or do you see sort of something beyond
2: this? Yeah. Um, So like during my PhD, I've started started to look actually quite early um for a job because i was curious about you know what was on the market what type of jobs and also i wanted to practice interviews for to be ready when the real one would be there you know like the really Mm -hmm. interesting jobs um so i've been looking for like a year um before to graduate and so i've been in touch with that company for six months before i started and yeah so yeah i've yeah i mean i've I wouldn't leave Canada for, you know, anything like because I truly loved my life there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'm planning to spend I don't know how many years uh, with them, but we'll see. Right. It's hard to know.
0: I think it's uh, one of the underrated skills of a researcher is um, just being able to establish relationships. Mm. Like interviewing uh, is a key skill to be able to be like make an impression on people when you first meet them. to to, you know, if you want to work with an establishment and establish a relationship with someone in there, that's a huge step and taking that time to make those connections. uh, And that's, you know, one of the key things about academia is like half of it is like who you know and then and establishing creating. your 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 relationship within that that organization. Getting along with and people. It's important. Your network. Creating your network.
1: Yeah, that's a very important, underappreciated skill, I think. I know when I was an undergrad, it was very common for the people who were very socially awkward like myself to be like, well, I'll just go to science where I can be in a lab coat and be in a closet and everyone will leave me alone and I don't need to be good Mm -hmm. at making those those human those, soft those, skills yeah, those shallow relationships those those networking relationships and it's not true like you need to be a good writer mm-hmm. you need to be a good networker for success and i think most things but it's almost especially academia
0: but i mean it's a human organization relationships mm-hmm. are always gonna you know be the key factor in how organizations grow evolve meet people and 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 you can connect with them because, yeah, if it's a human run organization, you need to be able to have a human relationship.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And even even more now, I would say, when, you know, mm. research is looking at topics from a different eye, like, we start to understand how everything is linked, yeah. link, and so we have to create association or, you know, like, with people who don't work necessarily in our field, but because mm-hmm. we know that what they are researching is going to be linked somehow with what we do, and so we have to be able to translate or work in a way that people who work very much differently from what we do can understand it and so like it's way more yeah social than you would think and mm-hmm. those networking skills are super important mm-hmm.
0: yeah. now can I ask Claire was little Claire someone who wanted to work with animals and then realized oh I have to go through science or was little Claire someone uh, who's like I want to work with animals and I get to do science
2: and- yeah 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 i i would not maybe not so much i think i mean i've always been into biology that's for sure hmm. yeah. um, but for example i always hated physics you know like sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> understandable <I'm> so <laughs> no no it's very normal lots of physicists um, hate it too
2: <laughs> but the self-hating physicist. <laughs> The, my interest for research though came, um, I, I don't know if that's early or not, but like once I left high school, for example, mm-hmm. and I started to, you know, learn more about it, that really developed, but mostly it was animal behavior that, mm-hmm. you know, got me where I am and then it led to welfare as a whole. Animal behavior is very cool too.
1: Yeah. That's what I, mm-hmm. I, I was focused on that too in my undergrad research. I found that cool.
0: Birds,
2: yeah.
1: bird nest parasitism, but also like fish sneaker males. I always thought that was a really cool story.
2: <laughs> There's so much. There's so much that is amazing too. Yeah.
1: What are you into, Claire, outside of the farm? So what else? What are What are some of your other interests?
0: Some non animal related
1: <laughs> hobbies well, or pastimes.
2: I, I'm a real couch potato. Nice. Um, yeah, we relate. Yeah. Yeah, I love you know my Netflix and chill. <laughs> um, I I love also eating, so I spend a lot of time you know outside, mm. just like in bars or restaurants. Um, that's very, yeah, that's that's what makes me happy really. Um, and I love to just go outside for walks usually, mm. uh, and travel. But you know these days it's not uh, like now. yeah. Yeah, that's also one part of what I was happy to be back in France. It's like it's a tinier country. Yeah. um, And it's very much easier uh, compared to Canada to be able to, you know, just go for a weekend in a tiny village and feel like it's, you know, a holiday. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm happy about that. I'm going to miss many things, but I was happy about that very nice
1: I think we would get along great Claire I think we would list our interests as couch potatoes
0: eating food <laughs> eating and, and, and no, the occasional walk, walk <laughs> in
1: between bouts of eating yeah like, <laughs> you be good about yourself right that's right yeah <laughs> like livestock really yeah yeah
0: we are livestock yeah I
2: mean, that's why I relate I don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly
0: yeah they have a great life well wow, what if we tried showing them Netflix that could re- reduce feather pecking maybe
2: <laughs>
1: well yeah give Vinny credit for that hypothesis that's a good one <laughs> Yeah, I
2: will. Netflix for <laughs> you chickens. You will for sure be in my admo- admonishments. So. Oh, <laughs>
1: Nice. Well, Claire, this has been a fantastic chat. Thank, Thank you, you so much for meeting with us. Your research is super cool. Yeah. I'm going to help, not just chickens, but, you know, it affects people too. Yeah. Happy chickens, happy people. <laughs> yeah, I've oh, always said that. <laughs>
2: i i hope it will you know like i think it gives a lot of ideas for the future and where to go and thank you guys so much for inviting me to talk about it it's 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 great yeah it's our pleasure yeah,
0: thank well, you you had a great time thanks claire how um, amazing was that
1: it's so cool
0: feather pecking yeah that's
1: i knew it was a thing
0: i didn't know it was a thing at all <laughs> I, I would
1: have assumed it was like a hundred percent just stress like if you right. had Chickens in an industrial farm, they're just... No. Like anything, when it's kept in high density, it acts bizarre, like, sure. like newts. So I studied newts for my master's, okay. and I was doing experiments with larvae. And salamanders and newts are pretty famous for...
0: For many things.
1: <laughs> Not much, actually. Anyway, but here's one thing that they're famous-ish for. Is that they can switch to a cannibalistic morph as a larva under certain circumstances where they're, you can tell that they're a cannibal, their head becomes gigantic, they sort of like become (laughs) the Hulk, like they become (laughs) really gigantic, yeah. And, uh, but they would almost only do it under high stress, artificial situations. Like put them in an aquarium and they act like, Maniacs, but okay. in nature it can happen, but it's pretty rare. Wow. Anyway, so I assumed like that connection, you know, but but uh, instead
0: of just a lack of yogurt. <laughs>
1: oh, not, quite. not quite. Let's not spread that. No, is that it? <laughs> all these, all these urban <laughs> agriculturalists in Montreal with chickens on their roofs get trying to give the, them yogurt the Activia <laughs> <laughs> containers. Yeah, fascinating.
0: So cool. Yeah, I, uh, animals, huh?
1: I love it when. You can do something really cool with animal behavior, and there's such an obvious application it. Right. It's not just this is neat; not that that's not valid either. It's like, wow, this has an impact. It has on, an impact, on yeah. How not just their behavior, their and well-being, and... which matters, but also just like agriculture and everything. Amazing. Very cool. Um, I I could I could have asked a billion questions about too. these chickens. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this. This is a fun episode. Yeah. We we shared facts we both already knew. <laughs> because <laughs> we're constantly on the hunt for facts now it's harder and harder <laughs> i'm gonna to have surprise. to dig deep
0: i'm gonna have to go to the, the 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 underground science journals now
1: i wonder if the chickens mitochondrial dna was uh because they went released. to space i was i was gonna say because they were stressed right Stress? we're stressed right not from space they went to space too from probably lack of yogurt.
0: maybe the chickens have a spaceship that we don't know about <laughs>
1: I'll save that for the next episode we'll resolve that <laughs> All right. um thank you for listening
0: thank you everybody thank you
1: to claire for being awesome
0: and if you want to find us on social media you can check us out on facebook twitter and instagram at lrg pod that's lrg pod on facebook twitter and instagram
1: and we're always recording so if you're a grad student who's interested you're like hey i could do this what should they do Benny?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> you want to try that again
1: And if you're a grad student and you're out there saying, hey, I'd love to be a guest on this show, what should they do, Vinny?
0: You can email us at learnrealgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Learnrealgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Where all good emails go.
1: True. No spam yet. All right. Thanks, folks. Have a good one. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.